0: part one chapter two of a country house by john galsworthy this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter two the covert shoot at the head of the breakfast table sat mr pendyce eating methodically he was somewhat silent as became a man who had just read family prayers but about that silence and the pile of half-opened letters on his right was a hint of aristocracy. Be informal. Do what you like. Dress as you like. Sit where you like. Eat what you like. Drink tea or coffee. But. Each glance of his eyes, each sentence of his sparing semi-genial talk, seemed to repeat that but at the foot of the breakfast-table sat mrs pendyce behind a silver urn which emitted a gentle steam her hands worked without ceasing amongst cups and while they worked her lips worked too in spasmodic utterances that never had any reference to herself pushed a little to her left and entirely neglected lay a piece of dry toast on a small white plate twice she took it up buttered a bit of it and put it down again once she rested and her eyes which fell on mrs bellew seemed to say how very charming you look my dear Then, taking up the sugar tongs she began again on the long sideboard covered with a white cloth reposed a number of edibles only to be found amongst that portion of the community which breeds creatures for its own devouring at one end of this row of viands was a large game pie with a triangular gap in the pastry at the other on two oval dishes lay four cold partridges in various stages of decomposition behind them a silver basket of openwork design was occupied by three bunches of black one bunch of white grapes and a silver grape cutter which performed no function it was so blunt but had once belonged to a totterage and wore their crest. No servants were in the room, but the side door was now and again opened and something brought in, and this suggested that behind the door persons were collected only waiting to be called upon. It was, in fact, as though Mr. Pendyce had said, A butler and two footmen at least could hand you things, but this is a simple country house. At times a male guest rose, napkin in hand, and said to a lady, can I get you anything from the sideboard? Being refused he went and filled his own plate. Three dogs, two fox terriers and a decrepit sky, circled round uneasily, smelling at the visitor's napkins, and there went up a hum of talk in which sentences like these could be distinguished Ripping stand that by the wood you remember your rocketing woodcock last year jerry and the dear old squire never touched a feather did you squire dick dick bad dog come and do your tricks trust trust paid for isn't he rather a darling on mr pendyce's foot or by the side of his chair whence he could see what was being eaten sat the spaniel john and now and then mr pendyce taking a small portion of something between his finger and thumb would say john make a good breakfast sir james i always say a half-breakfast man is no good and mrs pendyce her eyebrows lifted would look anxiously up and down the table murmuring another cup dear let me see are you sugar when all had finished a silence fell as if each sought to get away from what he had been eating as if each felt he had been engaged in an unworthy practice then mr pendyce finishing his last grape, wiped his mouth you've a quarter of an hour gentlemen we start at ten fifteen mrs pendyce left seated with a vague ironical smile ate one mouthful of her buttered toast now very old and leathery gave the rest to the dear dogs and called george you want a new shooting tie dear boy that green one's quite faded i've been meaning to get some silks down for ages have you any news of your horse this morning yes blacksmith says he's fit as a fiddle i do so hope he'll win that race for you your uncle herbert once lost four thousand pounds over the Rutlandshire i remember perfectly my father had to pay it i'm so glad you don't bet dear boy my dear mother i do bet oh george i hope not much for goodness sake don't tell your father he's like all the pendices can't bear a risk my dear mother i'm not likely to but as a matter of fact there is no risk i stand to win a lot of money to nothing but george is that right of course it's all right oh well i don't understand mrs pendyce dropped her eyes a flush came into her white cheeks she looked up again and said quickly george i should like just a little bet on your horse a little bet say about a sovereign george pendyce's creed permitted the show of no emotion he smiled all right mother i'll put it on for you it'll be about eight to one does that mean if he wins i shall get eight george nodded mrs pendyce looked abstractedly at his tie i think it might be two sovereigns. one seems very little to lose because i do so want him to win isn't helen bellew perfectly charming this morning it's delightful to see a woman look her best in the morning george turned to hide the color in his cheeks she looks fresh enough certainly mrs pendyce glanced up at him there was a touch of quizzicality in one of her lifted eyebrows i mustn't keep you dear you'll be late for the shooting mr pendyce a sportsman of the old school who still kept pointers which in the teeth of modern fashion he was unable to employ set his face against the use of two guns any man he would say who cares to shoot at worst its skeins must do with one gun as my dear old father had to do before me he'll get a good day's sport no barn-door birds for he encouraged his pheasants to remain lean that they might fly the better but don't let him expect one of these battoos sheer butchery i call them he was excessively fond of birds it was in fact his hobby and he had collected under glass cases a prodigious number of specimens of those species which are in danger of becoming extinct having really in some pendycean sort of way a feeling that by this practice he was doing them a good turn championing them as it were to a world that would soon be unable to look upon them in the flesh he wished too that his collection should become an integral part of the estate and be passed on to his son and his son's son after him look at that dartford warbler he would say beautiful little creature getting rarer every day i had the greatest difficulty in procuring this specimen you wouldn't believe me if i told you what i had to pay for him. some of his unique birds he had shot himself having in his youth made expeditions to foreign countries solely with this object but the great majority he had been compelled to purchase. In his library were row upon row of books carefully arranged and bearing on this fascinating subject, and his collection of rare, almost extinct, bird's eggs was one of the finest in the three kingdoms. One egg especially he would point to with pride as the last obtainable of that particular breed. This was procured, he would say, by my dear old Gilly Angus out of the bird's very nest there was just the single egg the species he added tenderly handling the delicate porcelain-like oval in his brown hand covered with very fine blackish hairs is now extinct he was in fact a true bird lover strongly condemning cockneys or rough ignorant persons who with no collections of their own wantonely destroyed kingfishers or scarce birds of any sort out of pure stupidity i would have them flogged he would say for he believed that no such bird should be killed except on commission and for choice barring such extreme cases as that dartford warble in some foreign country or remoter part of the british isles it was indeed illustrative of mr pendyce's character and whole point of view that whenever a rare winged stranger appeared on his own estate it was talked of as an event and preserved alive with the greatest care in the hope that it might breed and be handed down with the property but if it were personally known to belong to mr fuller or lord quarryman whose estates abutted on worsted skeins and there was grave and imminent danger of its going back it was promptly shot and stuffed that it might not be lost to posterity an encounter with another landowner having the same hobby of whom there were several in the neighbourhood would upset him for a week making him strangely morose and he would at once redouble his efforts to add something rarer than ever to his own collection his arrangements for shooting were precisely conceived little slips of paper with the names of the guns written thereon were placed in a hat and one by one drawn out again and this he always did himself behind the right wing of the house he held a review of the beaters who filed before him out of the yard each with a long stick in his hand and no expression on his face five minutes of directions to the keeper and then the guns started carrying their own weapons and a sufficiency of cartridges for the first drive in the old way a misty radiance clung over the grass as the sun dried the heavy dew the thrushes hopped and ran and hid themselves the rooks called peacefully in the old elms at an angle, the game-cart, constructed on Mr. Pendyce's own pattern, and drawn by a hairy horse in charge of an aged man, made its way slowly to the end of the first beat. George lagged behind, his hands deep in his pockets, drinking in the joy of the tranquil day. The soft bird sounds, so clear and friendly, that course of wild life, the scent of the covert stole to him, and he thought, What a ripping day for shooting! The squire, wearing a suit carefully colored so that no bird should see him, leather leggings and a cloth helmet of his own devising, ventilated by many little holes, came up to his son. And the spaniel John, who had a passion for the collection of birds almost equal to his masters, came up too you're and gone george he said you'll get a nice high bird george felt the ground with his feet and blew a speck of dust off his barrels and the smell of the oil sent a delicious tremor darting through him everything even helen bellew was forgotten then in the silence rose a far-off clamour a cock pheasant skimming low his plumage silken in the sun dived out of the green and golden spinney curled to the right and was lost in undergrowth some pigeons passed over at a great height the tip-tap of sticks beating against trees began then with a fitful rushing noise a pheasant came straight out george threw up his gun and pulled the bird stopped in mid-air jerked forward and fell headlong into the grass sods with a thud in the sunlight the dead bird lay and a smirk of triumph played on george's lips he was feeling the joy of life during his covert shoots the squire had the habit of recording his impressions in a mental notebook he put special marks against such as missed or shot birds behind the waist or placed lead in them to the detriment of their market value or broke only one leg of a hare at a time, causing the animal to cry like a tortured child, which some men do not like, or such as anxious for fame, claimed dead creature that they had not shot, or peopled the next beat with imaginary slain, or too frequently wiped an important neighbor's eye, or shot too many beaters in the legs. Against this evidence, however, he unconsciously weighed the more undeniable social facts, such as the title of Winlow's father, Sir James Malden's coverts, which must also presently be shot, Thomas Franwright's position in the financial world, General Pendyce's relationship to himself, and the importance of the English church. Against Foxley alone, he could put no marks, the fellow destroyed everything that came within reach with utter precision, and this was perhaps fortunate, for Foxley had neither title, coverts, position, nor cloth, and the squire weighed one thing else besides, the pleasure of giving them all a good day's sport, for his heart was kind. The sun had fallen well behind the home wood when the guns stood waiting for the last drive of the day. From the keeper's cottage in the hollow, where late threads of crimson clung in the brown network of Virginia creeper, rose a mist of wood smoke dispersed upon the breeze. Sound there was none, only that faint stir. The far, far callings of men and beasts and birds that never quite dies of a country evening. High above the woods some startled pigeons were still wheeling. No other life in sight but a gleam of sunlight stole down the side of the covert and laid a burnish on the turned leaves till the whole wood seemed quivering with magic out of that quivering wood a wounded rabbit had stolen and was dying it lay on its side on the slope of a tussock of grass its hind legs drawn under it its forelegs raised like the hands of a praying child Motionless as death, all its remaining life was centered in its black, soft eyes. Uncomplaining, ungrudging, unknowing, with that poor, soft, wandering eye, it was going back to Mother Earth. There Foxley, too, some day must go, asking of nature why she had murdered him. End of chapter 2